Welcome to Virgin Territory, a podcast brought to you by SHIP. Each episode brings you new guests and new topics. We ask all the questions you are dying to know, from dating, sexual education and wellness, to kink, polyamory, and everything in between. Now please welcome your host, Vima Manfredo. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Virgin Territory. Um, I would say to everyone, happy holidays, but you will probably be listening to this in February. So happy Valentine's Day, I think, if my math is correct. Sure. Um, So today we have with us Nikki. Um, And if you remember from our last uh, fall workshops, she was one of our uh, workshop presenters, and we're very happy to have her. Hi, Nikki. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. I'm so happy to be here talking with you. Awesome. I'm very excited for today. Um, so for those of you that are listening to us, we are recording the week before Christmas, which means I have a lot of presents to open. I'm very excited. But um, before we get started, uh, I just wanted to give you a little bit of space uh, to tell us about yourself. Uh, what do you do? anything that you have coming up, all that wonderful stuff. Sure, I would love to. Um, so as was mentioned, my name is Nikki Davis Fainbloom. Sometimes I call myself Miss Bloom. And I'm a sexuality educator, writer, and coach. Uh, I received my master's degree at NYU in psychology, um, but I've always been fascinated by sexuality and relationships and breakups and all of that. Um So my work uses scientific research, humor, and practical advice to really help people develop the skills to have happier, healthier, more satisfying, more pleasurable romantic and sexual relationships. Um, So in doing that, I write a lot of articles. Uh, I've been featured in Cosmopolitan, Pornhub Sexual Wellness Center, places like that. Um, I also do a lot of workshops, like working with the lovely folks like you and other places uh yeah that's a little about me that's quite the laundry list i i i love everything you said especially the part of uh bringing humor into sexual education because it can always feel very taboo and scary when you start talking about sex and relationships and pleasure it almost feels like you have to put the seriousness mind into it but Using humor makes it more comfortable. Definitely. And I also feel like my strategy is to sometimes share about myself and what I've learned because that makes it more personal instead of like, here are the statistics. It's like, no, like I've been through breakups. This is what I've learned through breakups or like this is what I've learned about myself. So I feel like that makes it a little more engaging and fun. Yeah, and it makes it more human because there's there's an actual human that is talking about their experience. Um, so it's it's less abstract and it's less this monolith of information and more like, oh yeah, this is an experience that a lot of us share in one way or another and we can commiserate together. Exactly. Because I feel like with sexuality, there aren't enough spaces for us to be able to sort of talk about it openly. And that's why it's so awesome that you're doing this podcast and like creating spaces for it to become more normalized for us to sort of share our experiences and learn from each other. Yeah, especially, I don't think we've had a podcast episode yet that we talk about breakups, but it's such an integral part of the the human sexuality and human relationships. It's having that, that 
experience that is a hard experience for the most part of departing one another. (laughs) And that is not something that is talked about. So um, how do you approach that conversation with others? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, Because one of the things with breakups is they're sort of um, undervalued. Like when we think someone is going through a breakup, you kind of give them a couple weeks to mourn and then you expect them to sort of move on with their lives. But when you look at the neurology of breakups and the way it affects everything about your experience, it's really like a huge trauma. Like it's very similar in its effect it has on your brain to like losing a close family member or engaging in like a serious trauma. Um, But I think we kind of expect people to move on fast. And I think it's important to give people space to sort of mourn and to sort of normalize the pain that's felt through breakups. Um, Like I just read this study that looked at the brains of people who are going through breakups and the part of the brain that was activated is the same part that is activated when you experience physical pain. So it's kind of like you're getting punched in the head over and over again when you're going through a breakup. So that's why it hurts. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I can attest to that. I can I can definitely say it does not take weeks. Sometimes it takes months, and sometimes a whole year. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's just very a very difficult moment. Uh, but another thing that you mentioned is that you you do writing. You have a couple of books um, and some articles. And from reading your bio, you also launched launched yourself into freelance. <laughs> So was was starting starting into freelance a scary move for you in terms of sexual education? Oh yeah, I like the word launch. That's really what it felt like. It was like me like on a rocket ship, hoping for the best. Um, so yeah, it was definitely um, difficult because I didn't have the stability of sort of working for someone. But it was also powerful because I was sort of able to see the holes that there were in like education and sort of follow my passion and figure out what can I do that is like the most helpful for people um, to make change. And that's part of why like people are like, you really write articles for Pornhub? Like, why do you do that? But it's like, for me, I wanna just like spread the information as far and as wide as I can. So part of that is being a part of like the popular media and like just basically anyone who will listen to me, me like screaming about sex education. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a difficult transition and I'm still sort of figuring out exactly what my life looks like as a freelancer two years later. So it's a process. It's definitely a process. Two years is scary, uh, especially yeah. these past two years. So that yeah, must've been very time. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So how is it like writing for Pornhub? I, I enjoyed writing, um, because I feel like the, in my mind, uh, in my experiences, part of the biggest hole of sex education or the people that know the least are straight white dudes for the most part. So I think a lot of them watch porn. Therefore, they might be more likely to um, reap the benefit of my education when you use sort of platforms that everyone's on instead of platforms where you're kind of preaching to the choir, like people that are already informed and already educated are sort of like, um, learning but I like working for everyone I really just think it's about um creating a story and like sharing my knowledge using science using stories 
um, to sort of help impact change and help people have the best relationships that they can. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of the opposite of build it and they're and they'll come. It's more like go where they already are and they will read it. <laughs> they will be there. <laughs> exactly. Um, so moving a little bit um away from Pornhub because I don't want to give them too much promotion because we can be promoting ship now. Not. Um <laughs> and I mean I do have a bias for ship because this podcast is for them. Um, shameless plug again. Mm-hmm. But uh, talking about your workshop on maximis- maximizing pleasure for people with vulvas, mm-hmm. uh, why did you choose that topic in particular? That's a great question. Yeah. Um, so I had never seen a similar workshop done in the past at all. Um, and I think it's just a really, really important topic because unfortunately, when it comes to pleasure, it's often both women and people with vulvas that sort of get the shit end of the stick. And part of that is because Pornhub and other places have a focus on male pleasure. So for the most part, the people in power are men and they're creating content for other men for the most part um, when we're looking at mainstream porn. Um, so it's like hard for us to learn about the pleasure that's the most pleasurable for people with vulvas. So there's a really big focus on penetrative sex, um, which for a lot of people with vulvas is not the most pleasurable type of sex for us. So only 20% of women can orgasm from just penetration. Uh, When it comes to pleasure, it's really the vulva and the clitoris that gives us the most pleasure. Um, And it seems like there's like a really big lack of education specifically about the vulva and about the vagina and about women's biology so I really wanted to sort of fill that gap with uh education because as we know there's still like a really big orgasm gap where for the most part uh straight men are having more orgasms um than pretty well everyone else (laughs) and I think through education and through learning sort of the language um it helps folks to have more pleasure and to sort of learn to communicate about what feels good for them Yeah, and I mean, that's such an important topic to discuss because of that, of that orgasm gap, but also that focus on the male orgasm closes the business of the sex, Mm -hmm. um, if that makes any sense. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, If you see any, any porn clip that is mainstream porn clip, uh, what you see is that they'll do a thousand different positions. Most of them look very uncomfortable if you're not a gymnast. Mm-hmm. And the scene will end the moment the man orgasms. Mm-hmm. Orgasms, some sums. Yes. That's the word. And like the, the guy finishes and, and he's done and the scene is done. Roll the credits. And you never see the woman having a, a true orgasm or where it looks to be pleasurable for her. I know. Like how amazing would it be if the scene ended where first the ma- if it's a heterosexual scene, like the man orgasms and then he's like, wait, let's like pull out the vibrator and like make this a pleasurable moment for you so we can both experience pleasure together instead of assuming that it's over just because um the guy comes. I think that's a really good example of that. Yeah, that that would be great if they can incorporate toys in a way that is not 
more penetration mm -hmm. um, because most toys that I that I've seen on on these same clips, it's another, another. penis. Exactly. And it's like, uh, there was one already there, so you can yeah. grab other things that are not penises. Yeah. Well, those other penis toys. <laughs> right. Um, so that that's that's a big one. And, and I think, like you said, a lot of men, um, cis white men, take their information from porn, so they form this vision in their head that that's how sets is. And sets can be... That can be said, but sets is a lot more than that. Exactly. And I think it leads to a situation where women and people with vulvas end up feeling like something's wrong with them if they're not able to orgasm from penetration, or they feel like what they should do is fake it, or like they should find a way to enjoy the experience instead of sort of understanding that biologically it doesn't make sense that that would be the most pleasurable for us which isn't to say like there are some women who can orgasm from just penetration and that's amazing. But I just think it's important that we know that that's the minority, not the majority. Right. And in, in understanding the, the, the biology of the vulva is also very important. Knowing where things are, are is important and knowing how sensitive different areas like the clitoris is not playing the clitoris. Like it's a, a record player would be nice. <laughs> I'm just complaining now. Yeah, um, I agree with you. I think like everyone should just go like slower and softer. That would be my advice to like most people. Yeah. And like our, our sound engineer says, trim in your nails. Very important. There's a lot of sensitive skin. <laughs> That's a really good point. Um, but I think you're right about the lack of education. Um Like, I don't know if you want to hear this crazy stat. They did a study where they asked people to um, just like label the vulva. And it was found that 58% of people couldn't describe the function of the urethra, which is peeing, by the way, simple function. 47% didn't know what the labia was and 52% didn't know what the vagina is. Wow. It's pretty shocking. This is where I wish our podcast had video because we would put a, a model here and go like the clitoris up know, here, then goes the urethra, then the vaginal opening. Exactly, exactly. But I think like one of the main issues is like when you're looking at the term vagina, people still use the word vagina to include like the whole anatomy. But as I'm sure you know, like the vagina is just the hole. So it's the hole that like a baby could come out of or you can put a tampon in or a penis in. But like the word vagina doesn't incorporate the most pleasurable part for us, which is the clitoris and the clitoris is part of the vulva. So it's just one of these things that in my head, I'm just imagining like a male doctor 30 years ago being like, we call it vagina because I put my penis in that part instead of like thinking about our pleasure. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I'm gonna do a little bit of a throwback to our listeners to go a few episodes back when we interviewed the authors of Pussypedia. Um, and they have a website that you can reference and see all these parts that we're just talking about. Um, they built a 3D model of the vulva and the vagina yeah. as a part of the education. Um, so just doing a scowback for an older episode. Uh, but yeah, it's it's so important to not only know general anatomy, but as a vulva owner to know your own. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. know what you like, what you don't like, and how as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you mm-hmm. may like touch in a certain part of your vulva that other vulva owners don't or a certain speed or a scent. That's why there's so many different types of vibrators in the market. Exactly. Why for every type. Exactly. And I feel like it's like, if you don't know it yourself, how are you going to expect a partner to know it? It's like through self-knowledge, we can teach partners to make us feel good. But if we don't know, it's really hard for other folks to know. Yeah. I mean, it was only a few years ago that I learned the whole structure of the clitoris that doesn't just include the external mm-hmm. pearl, yeah. um, if you will, mm-hmm. that, that there is a whole wishbone looking thing that surrounds everything. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's really interesting actually, like when you're experiencing pleasure, both in the anus and inside the vagina, it's often just like the internal clitoris. Like as you were just talking about the bulb part is like, that's the stimulation that you're receiving. So even if you orgasm from sex, it's really just the internal clitoris that's helping you receive the pleasure. So a lot of us don't know like how big the clitoris is. Yeah. And I love that it's it's becoming more mainstream, that knowledge where I see like even ornaments with with the the double wishbone shape and everything. It's like, I want to put ornaments like that in my jeans. I actually have um, a brand Clitify, which is all clitoris focused, like art and merch. So I have a bunch of like big clit energy mugs and like backpacks and shirts. So I'm hoping that it will spread. Nice. Uh, Where we can find that shop? Because I have a credit card that it's using. Hey, really? It's a good, yeah, good holiday gift. So it's on Etsy. Um, If you just type in Clitify. All right, so we'll put the link on our show notes for everybody that's listening. So if you're driving, you don't have to try and write this down right now. Um, Be safe. Uh, But we'll put it on the show notes so you can find um, Nikki's Etsy shop and you can clitify your whole house. Gotcha. So another part that we were going to talk about was the dual control model. Um, Can you explain what that is for our listeners? Definitely. Yes. So the dual control model is the idea that when we're engaged in any sexual situation, there are two simultaneous systems that exist at the same time. So there's the excitation system and the inhibition system. So the excitation system is really looking for anything exciting in the environment. It's always on the lookout for sexy things. And then the inhibition system, otherwise known as the break, is sort of what looks for threats or sort of dangerous things in the environment. So these are both systems that exist simultaneously. So when you enter in every sexual situation, there are parts that you're like, ooh, this is exciting. But then oftentimes we have uh, parts that can make us be like, no, this is bad. Something's wrong. So to give an example, like right now, you and I are talking about pleasure. So maybe part of your excitation system is like, ooh, pleasure is cool, vibrator is cool. But then your inhibition system is like, we are recording a podcast right now. Now is not the time to engage in these thoughts and therefore you don't feel aroused. Um, But if it was a different situation, not you, like one would. Yeah. Um, I mean, my brain is probably doing that as we speak because that's what all brains do. (laughs) Exactly, exactly, on some level. So um, this system is just a way to think about 
hookups and like sex because it seems like um, folks with vulvas may have slightly stronger breaks. So for the most part, like when people come in and they say they're experiencing low sexual arousal or they're not having orgasms or not having the pleasure that they want, for the most part, it's not like they're not excited. Most people are excited enough from the environment. The issue is that what's, oops, what is happening is that um, the break is turning off the excitement. So the break can look like many things for different people. For a lot of folks, they might have like disruptive thoughts or irrational beliefs that might get in their way of enjoying a sexual encounter. And I think just because like the patriarchy and all these reasons that life might be harder for women, specifically sexually, I think that might be why the breaks are harder for us. So if your break is on, it could look like asking yourself, do I look good in this angle? Do I smell funny? Did I shower first? Like, am I better in bed than their other lover? Um, what's going to happen after we have sex? Is it a bad idea to have sex? Is it going to sort of lead? Am I going to lead them on? Are they going to lead me on? Am I taking too long to come? So there are all these sort of thoughts that can get in our head. And once they're in our head, they can make us not notice all the sexy, exciting things that are happening in the environment. Um, so that can be problematic. Yeah. And that's especially difficult for someone that gets distracted easily. Um, like someone that has ADHD, um, mm -hmm. that their thoughts may linger and their brain is gone somewhere on vacation right. and it's not there. But like you said, it's, it's people that have been raised and navigate the world as women have a more difficult time because we also have to consider our safety, um, exactly. our emotional safety, our physical safety, mm -hmm. um, the part of leading someone on, um, depending on what state we live in, what reproductive reproductive rights we do or do not have in that space. Uh, so there's a lot of things. And then the safety and security of the relationship itself. If you're trying mm -hmm. to have sex with someone that you have some apprehension on their their spirit or their their character, that mm -hmm. could be a big break as well. Exactly. So all of that kind of builds up. And then for some of us, if the break is strong, you just don't notice the enjoyment. Um, so when I work with folks that have this, a lot of it is sort of figuring out what makes your break strong. So what for you gets you out of the moment and then to see if there's anything you can do to either sort of rethink the way you think about it, or maybe you can put in protections beforehand that make you feel safer. So for example, for some, it might be waiting longer to have sex if you're not sure if you feel safe with them. It's like, wait till you feel safe or have them sort of show that it is indeed a safe space for you to relax and enjoy. Or if it's something less consequential, like you're worried you smell bad, then maybe you just shower, you and your partner shower together before sex. And then in your head, you won't be like, do I smell funny? What's going on here? You'll be able to sort of enjoy the experience. Like for me, I think one of the issues I had is I would always be in my head about how long I take to orgasm because I take a really long time. So when I was with partners, I'd be like, am I going to come soon? Is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? And then but that turned my break on. So then instead of enjoying the sensation, I was in my head like, is it going to happen? When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? And like, I worked on that by sort of reframing the way I think about it. So in my head, I'm like, how lucky am I that they get to eat me out for an hour? That's great for them. It's a beautiful experience. And then like, I say, let me know if you're no longer having a good time and then we'll stop. 
And then like by putting that in place, I'm able to sort of turn off my brakes and like relax and enjoy the experience. Yeah. And also taking the pressure off the orgasm as the end goal of sets. There's a lot of sets and setsy things that can happen between one or more people uh, that don't need to lead in and with on an orgasm. Like we said at the beginning with uh, on a porn scene where when the man comes, that's that's the end of the scene. That not not necessarily has to be the case. But also, if no one comes from that sexual experience, you still had sets. Exactly. Yeah, I feel like I've had like amazing hookups where no one comes and like shitty hookups where someone did come. So I think it's not necessarily, as you said, the focus shouldn't be the orgasm. It's just something that it's nice if it happens, but it shouldn't be like the end goal. Yeah, exactly. Um, so how, in terms of overthinking, what are your recommendations for overthinkers? And I may just ask, be asking for myself because I overthink everything. <laughs> I also overthink everything. Um, so I think to get started, you should think about, is this a fact or is it an assumption? So if, say, you have some thought about sex, um, would you like to share any thought that you have had or that someone could have about sex? And we can sort of think about it. I mean, my brain goes on between why is there music and why is the music so bad to why am I taking so long and why am I not thinking about the person that I'm with and just like thinking about yeah. laundry or something? Yeah, exactly. See, it's so easy for the brain to spiral. So I think something like music is nice because it's really easy to change that, right? So if say, you know, you get distracted by music, then before you get in the mood, you could be like, no music this time or like make sure there's no stupid YouTube ads, right? Like at least put on music from Spotify or like somewhere where you can like fully enjoy it. So I think a lot of it comes down to creating an environment beforehand that helps you be able to be in the space to enjoy it. So if you're like, oh, I have three emails to answer. Like for me, if I have that going on in my head, I'm not gonna be able to enjoy sex. So I finish what I have to do first so that I'll have like as few cognitive distractions as possible. So that when I'm like entering a moment or entering an interaction, I'm able to fully enjoy and fully engage with my partner. Um, but I would just say in general, think about if you have this thought, like where did you learn this from? Because a lot of it comes through our upbringing, through our society. So sometimes you can sort of crush a thought, like if the orgasm thing, if you're really concentrated on orgasm, you can be like, maybe I've just seen this as an example as orgasm being the most important thing. But in reality, I might enjoy myself without an orgasm and my partner might not mind. So sort of try to reframe the way you think about what you're thinking about and think about, is there anything I can do about it? So like music, for example, it's easy to do something about. There are certain things that are harder to do things about. If you have sort of a confidence issue, um, you're worried about the way you look, um, that's something that can take a lot of work with yourself so that when you are having sex with someone, you're able to sort of know how amazing and beautiful you are. And that's like some self-work that can take a whole lot of different, um, there are different routes to help that. Um, but I would say the first step is sort of figuring out what kind of stuff you get in your head, what, what are the topics? And then the second step is like, are there any ways we can shift that? Yeah, for for the body one, that's one that I did struggle with a lot. Um, and it started 
the way that I started to manage that was setsy clothes, but setsy clothes that you didn't have to take off. Because I I could hide behind the clothes, but the clothes made me feel setsy already. So Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I was just wearing an oversized t-shirt. That's not that setsy. It could be, but it wasn't. Um, (laughs) It's just like some nice, sheer, whatever it is that they're called. And it gave me that security blanket of like, I'm not completely naked, so I don't feel exposed and I can feel sexy. And that over time, you can use those baby steps to build up your confidence as you work on your self-value and your self-confidence, because that takes a long time and you kind of need sex in between those times. Definitely. Yeah, you can't wait until you have full confidence to have sex too long and it also goes in and out throughout life I love that because I feel like it really has to do with what makes you feel most confident so it's not about the way your partner sees you necessarily it's about what can you do with your body with your movement with what you wear to make you feel comfortable and sexy in that moment right and there was one advice that I don't remember where I heard it from but I thought it was a great idea um, having nonverbal cues to communicate with your partner when your brain is drifting into thoughts that have nothing to do with what's going on. Like mm-hmm. the email uh, that you mentioned, I have five emails that I need to answer and, and we're, I'm not in my computer answering them. Yeah. Having some sort of cue to tell your partner, my mind is drifting, help me come back. Um, and that's part of the, of that communication that you build with a partner, if it's a long-term partner, where let's say that if I'm getting distracted, I can tell them, do this to me, X, Y, or C, or say sexy things in my ear, or any anything like that, that can bring you back to the moment. And having that communication with your partner, where your partner will help you come back from your spiraling brain and or shut off your brain completely by mm-hmm. s- sensory deprivation or anything like that yeah I love that that's definitely <laughs> been a good strategy to sort of put something in place beforehand so that when you're in the moment you're able to communicate and I know like communicating during sex with words is something that's difficult and not everyone can do that or that's something again that you need to work towards so finding ways to non-verbally communicate could be great and then working towards um being able to communicate with words during sex can also be great but it's a process yeah communicating with words it's definitely difficult um especially for someone that is very shy but at a minimum trying to direct traffic back to the moment it's always very helpful Really, really helpful. Yeah, I actually, I have a workshop coming up about communication. So it's all about helping folks figure out what it is you desire. So sort of looking at different ways you can learn about your desires and then finding different ways to communicate that to our partner. Because as we know, like we don't have any examples of what this can look like. Like where would we learn how to communicate during sex? I feel like there's very few ways we can see how it actually works. So providing examples and sharing how you can say what you want in a way that can also be exciting and interesting, but really goes down to like your body and your pleasure. That 
that's going to be an amazing workshop. It's definitely needed. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. in terms of communication, how would you recommend someone start that conversation? Because starting is the hardest part. It is the hardest. So for me, I would suggest it's hard to start while you're having sex because I feel like there's already like pressure and expectation. Um, so it's easier, like if say you haven't talked about anything um, to talk about it in a separate space. So I often recommend that folks have like a weekly check-in where they have a, if they're in a relationship to sort of talk about how things are going. But even if they're just friends with benefits or friends that have sex, you can just sort of check in. Um, a kind of fun way to do it would be through games. So me and my partner always like play dice. And then if you lose, you have to ask the other person an intimate personal sex question or whatever. And that's just like a way for it to be fun, but to also sort of learn about each other. Um, and I would say like, especially say there's something that you want, um, but you haven't yet expressed that to a partner. A good way to start the conversation is to ask your partner, what do they want? So it, it, um, while being positive and talking about how good the sex is in general, ask them, is there anything exciting that we could add to our sex life that you would enjoy? Or is there anything that perhaps you don't like that's happening or that I can do better because I want to learn? And then that kind of puts it in their court to be able to express what it is that they like um, or to at least sort of figure out what they like so they can express it. Yeah, and... It's important. It's very important to ask those questions, but some people get this fear of, I can't tell my partner, I want them to not do this and do this instead, because mm -hmm. I'll hurt their feelings. Yeah. And one important way of having that conversation is uh, this works great for other people, but my body, my brain, my emotions don't match well with this technique that you have that worked well for others so I like this technique better there are some people that like for something innocuous there are some people that really like a lot of tongue when they're kissing mm -hmm. there are some people like me that no, not just just no so that's nope. that's an important distinction some people like what you don't like and it's just mm -hmm. tailoring the experience to the people that are having the experience together exactly I feel like often people have like I don't know what you'd call it, like ex-partner syndrome, where it's like they try on you what their ex used to like, especially if they were in like a long relationship before you. It's like they sort of figured out how to pleasure that person and that body. But it's so unique, like specifically with people with vulvas, there are so many unique desires and different types of touch. And I think the only way to really learn about a new partner is to find a way to communicate with them so they can share what they like and what they don't like. And for some people, you can share it through moans and like nonverbal communication. But I think for a lot of people, the most clear way to share it is through finding a way to use your words. Yeah. Um, don't use that toy in that order or that selection of toys in that order. That order does not work. Or exactly. don't put the toy on, on mad speed um, from the beginning. That's a little too much. Things like that. Um, but for people that don't know much about themselves and they're getting into a relationship, what would be some of the tips that you recommend since they will be exploring their likes and dislikes almost together? Mm -hmm. Do you mean with a partner or with yourself? Um, yes, both. I'm just imagining a baby me 
or not baby me, but very, very young me, Mm -hmm. um, where I didn't know what I liked because I had not, I didn't have that much experience. So I couldn't communicate with my partner telling them, I like this because I had no idea what I liked. Mm -hmm. So someone in this, in that situation, what would you recommend for them? Mm -hmm. I would recommend a lot of masturbation (laughs) to really sort of get to know what you like. So I would recommend if you are able to get like a couple different types of toys, but even if toys aren't a possibility to sort of spend time getting to know your body and learning what you like um, yourself. So there's this interesting website called OMG Yes, where it shows very specific examples of different types of touch for people with vulvas. So you could look on that site to sort of see examples of different ways people can be touched to get a sense of like what is out there. Um, You could also see if you can find some more like female owned porn or like erotica online or like different types of media that explore sexuality. So you can find out what you enjoy and what you don't enjoy. Um, With a partner, you could engage in something called a yes, no, maybe list, which is just sort of a list of hundreds of different sexual things that you can look through. And each one you can be like, does this sound good to me? Yes or no. And then through going through that, you can figure out, oh, I might be interested in exploring these things, but perhaps this is too much for me. Um, And it takes, it's a lifetime, right? Because I feel like I still don't always know what I like. It depends on so many things. Um, It's not like you're going to spend a day and you're going to figure it out. It's mostly just becoming in touch with the way your body feels and then learning to express that with a partner. Yeah. And at the minimum, knowing when to say, okay, that didn't work. Exactly. Let's let's, let's switch to something else or let's go back to for today. Let's go back to what we already know. Next time we'll try something else different, but that one made it to the no list and having that that open really open communication of I don't know if I'll like this let's try it and if I don't like it I'll tell you exactly and just making sure you're with a partner that will always accept that and will always respect whatever your boundaries are yeah um so you did uh another workshop on ethical non I I don't know why I chose this topic because I can never pronounce it <laughs> I believe in you ethical non-monogamy <laughs> yes <laughs> Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that workshop? Sure. Yeah. Now that was like a year and a half ago, but I think, let's see if I remember, I think (laughs) the basics of it, um, I think was focusing on how, you know, if an open relationship or non-monogamy is right for you. And then if you do, um, what are some steps and some sort of precautions Uh, to put into place so that it is as successful as possible. So really, most of my workshops are different versions of telling people to communicate, because I think that's really just what it all comes down to. Um, Because a lot of that workshop was about jealousy, which I think is experienced by all people. But it sort of confronted more um, aggressively in folks where their partner is actually having other emotional and sexual relationships. Um, so a lot of it was sort of helping people to communicate about that and uh, sort of create uh, as um, healthy as relationship as possible. It's definitely communicate in, in every way. <laughs> yeah, that's really um, all I say ever. <laughs> 
communicate. <laughs> exactly. Um, so speaking of, of, of jealousy, there, there is one very particular part of jealousy that is part of non-monogamy, which is when your partner becomes jealous that someone else can make your partner have an orgasm. So how would you recommend navigating that type of jealousy that is also tied into insecurities of, of your own abilities? Mm -hmm. I think that can be really, really tough. Um, so when you are in a non-monogamous relationship and your partner has an orgasm that was given to them by another partner, that can be a really painful experience because um there's emotional jealousy and there's sexual jealousy and sometimes sexual jealousy can be really powerful because our brains can do these crazy things where we sort of imagine this idealized movie-like situation when our partners with other partners um oftentimes we're not sort of imagining the reality which is that like sex is amazing but it's also like funny and gross and awkward and all these things are part of it and I feel like we often don't really think of it that way when we're imagining our partner with other partners um but I would say in that situation you should first of all realize that orgasms aren't everything at all there are so many parts of sex so just because um they had an orgasm there and they didn't with you that doesn't mean they don't also enjoy having sex with you and you don't also have a lot to offer them um But it's definitely, it's something I think that it makes sense to feel a little bit of struggle with. Um, so I would talk to your partner, um, realizing that each relationship is unique. So everyone has something else to offer. And it's possible that maybe they have a better sexual chemistry, but you guys have more of an emotional connection. And it doesn't feel like there's anything wrong with you or your relationship if you're offering different things than this partner is offering. Um, However, if, say, giving them an orgasm is something that you really want to do, that's something that it's okay to strive towards. So I think if they were open to it, you can ask them some questions about how they create an environment that you were able to have an orgasm, and perhaps you would be able to create that in your relationship, um, potentially. Right. I invest in the conversation and in, in knowing your partner and orgasms aren't everything but it's definitely something that that can hit you if hmm. you don't feel um that you're providing the same things but like you said not everybody brings to the table the same things to a relationship especially on a on a on an open relationship there are certain things that you're providing your partner that nobody else can and that could mean a, an emotional connection that could be a very special friendship um, where this other person may just have very strong muscles in yeah. endurance, but they can't carry a conversation. So they're friends with benefits that have very strong fingers. And exactly. You never know what, what the situation is, or, or it was just a more sexually charged environment at that time. And you just have to recreate that at your home, maybe yeah. by changing your environment a little bit or doing a little bit more immersion. Exactly. Because they talk about sort of like the idealized version of polyamory is compersion, which is when you feel like an excitement for your partner's excitement. So instead of feeling jealous, you get to a place where you're so happy that your partner had an orgasm. Like, how dope is that? That it's someone with big muscles or whatever it is. 
Um, and I don't think that's necessarily possible for everyone to get to that place. And I don't know if that's necessarily the goal for everyone, but taking steps towards being happy that your partner's happy and also working on your confidence, both as a person and in the relationship is really helpful. So making sure there's a space where you can both share how much you value each other. And then as an individual working on your confidence in your body and your personality and whatever makes you feel powerful and beautiful, um, I find that's really helpful to make you feel less jealous. And then when you do feel jealous, finding a way to communicate it instead of sort of letting it build up and build up or feeling like you're somehow doing polyamory wrong because you're jealous. Because I think it's natural. Jealousy is natural. The question is, what do you do after you experience jealousy? Right. And and one thing to remember is for most people, your partner is with you because they want to. And knowing that they make that decision to stay with you day in and day out. And it's a, a conscious decision that especially now where most households, most people work. So there's not a need for the other person, but there's a want and knowing that my partner is here because they want to be here with me. And even if you're in a polyamorous relationship, they, they may go and have a relationship with somebody else as well, because they want to be part of that somebody else's life. They're still with you as well. And going back to that while you're going through those feelings of jealousy and, and using that as your grounding element can be very healing. Mm, definitely. Um, so we're almost at the top of the hour. So before we go into our favorite section, um, what's next for you in, well, February? I know we're in December now, but people don't know that. Um, All right, I can plan two months ahead. I got this. <laughs> um, so lately I've been doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching as well as coaching with couples. Um, so I would love if anyone's interested in working on components of their relationship or components of pleasure more deeply, I'm doing a lot of that. I also have some workshops coming up, um, and I usually post about it on my Instagram. So if you follow me on Instagram, I can share with you that. Um, my newest passion project is sort of normalizing extreme fetishes. So I'm collecting interviews of folks that have sort of out there fetishes, um, like we have interviews with a carpet man um, and sort of people that are aroused by things that are not sort of yet normalized in our society. Um, someone with a sneeze fetish, a few other folks. Um, so if you are someone who experiences or has experienced an extreme fetish, I would love to talk to you. Please get in touch um, because I'm hoping to write a book that works on normalizing fetishes, um, a guide of how to communicate your fetish to a partner and sort of some methods for communication when say you're into something that your partner is not into how do you manage that in a relationship that's a lot of great work i'm very interested to see that new book that you're working on um and we'll put your uh instagram handles on our show notes so we'll make sure to tag you so everybody can find you and find your etsy shop as well as well um, so you can clarify your whole house <laughs> All right. And before we wrap up, we move into our favorite section of the evening, which is the hot seat questions. Oh, no. <laughs> These will be fun questions just to conclude on a positive note and get to know a little bit about you as a person. 
Um, So here goes the first question. Pepsi or Coke? Neither. I don't like fizzy drinks. Oh. I'm a weirdo. I've been obsessed with fizzy drinks, so that breaks my heart. (laughs) Can we still be friends? I like it when there's a little bit of vodka in it. Then I can drink it. Just not by itself. So I've been annoying the sound engineer because I put ice in my drink and I usually don't. Uh, but there is a uh, seltzer water and lemon vodka in my coffee mug. It's amazing. <laughs> yes. uh, all right. Next question. Uh, favorite ice cream flavor? Oreo. Ooh, that's a good one. I, I used like to work at a coffee, uh, at an ice cream shop and there was one summer that I ate like pounds and pounds of Oreo. I gained like 20 pounds because I worked there. I was hanging out with the Oreo all day. Oh, that, that would be a tough one for me. Working in an ice cream shop, I, I would, I would just die. <laughs> yeah. It's dangerous. Place. <laughs> yeah. Um, who is the best Marvel character? Oh, shit. Mm, spider-man yes he's, i don't know the niece marvel <laughs> is have you seen the new movie no i it's still on my list to do um but i have to watch the other two first That's i'm so behind on my spider-mans you got it <laughs> the men of spider but my real passion is star trek i'm like a huge trekkie nice yeah. so we're star wars family on this house um, but we accept the Trekkies as well. Yeah, I accept I accept the Star Warsies. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, this this is my favorite question coming up. Um I need the wrong answer only. Okay. Why is there fuss on a tennis ball? Why is there fuss on a tennis ball? Um why is there fuss? To make the aliens float? I like that. <laughs> <laughs> It it reminds me of the movie um, Mars Attack. Yeah, I love that movie. <laughs> I did think of that. But wait, what's the right answer? Bounciness. Um, I forget. So Josh told me the right answer a while back. Um, it has to do with slowing the ball down for with mm-hmm. aerodynamics. So it's not like a baseball. And doesn't okay. like... <laughs> I will come out, out of your I will come out of the sound booth for this and tell you that you're that's right. The the fuzz on a tennis ball is designed to increase the drag on the tennis ball to slow it down. Good stuff. So <laughs> <Dropping> the knowledge. <laughs> Someday I'll remember that answer. Um, in our last question, uh, what sound does a fox make? that's wonderful at some point now you have to do the real sound (laughs) i don't know what the real sound is but we have a compilation of guests making different sounds that we at some point going to put all together that's um, amazing to have a vote on which one is the best one so that's coming soon that's exciting (laughs) well that was the last question um nikki thank you so much for playing uh hot seat with us um and thank you so much for coming over uh to talk to us today i can't wait to see what's next for you especially um the book that you're working on it sounds super super interesting and hopefully once you 
publish it, you can come on back and we'll talk all about extreme fetishes. That sounds amazing. I had so much fun talking to you. Thank you for having me on and I hope to see you again. And I think I'm going to do another workshop with you guys soon. So stay tuned. Awesome. Can't wait. So everyone pay attention to our Instagram because you'll see the the schedule there and you'll see when it's Nikki's turn. Hey. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everyone. SHIP will never stop creating spaces that provide opportunities to engage in candid, shame-free conversations about sexuality, and we are committed to building a more sexually literate society so that more of these spaces can exist. In order to do that, we need your help. Consider joining the Sex Ed Squad by visiting weknowship.org. Our Sex Ed Squad members are the very foundation of our work, because changing our sex-negative culture requires a long-term strategy in your long-term investment. All gifts, no matter the size, have an impact. You've been listening to Virgin Territory, a podcast by SHIP, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing culturally inclusive, medically accurate, and pleasure-guided sexuality, education, therapy, and professional training to adults. You can visit us online at weknowship.org. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. You're good to go. Go ahead, whenever you're ready. Really? Yes, really. <laughs> okay. Okay, now. Wait, I'm pausing now. I lost my train of thought. Pause, 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 pause. Okay, now I'm going to go back to what I said before so you can delete all. Wait, do you remember what sentence I was saying? (laughs) I lost my train. Josh, come back. We need your train. I'm here. I'm I'm here. Hold on one second. Or I can just start again. Should I just answer that question from the beginning again?